Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 125. While the 2022 WSL Championship Tour season has come to a close with the world titles being claimed by Felipe Toledo and Stephanie Gilmore at the Rip Curl WSL Finals earlier this month, the qualification battle for next season's Elite CT rages on. In a few short days, the fifth stop on this year's Challenger Series, the EDP Vizla Pro Aracera, will commence on October 1st with an international field of surfers looking to finish in the top 10 for the men and the top 5 for the women by season's end to advance to the big leagues in 2023. As it stands ahead of the EDP Vizla Pro Aracera, the current qualifiers are Caitlin Simmers, Molly Picklam, Macy Callahan, Betty Lusakura Johnson, and Sophie McCulloch on the women's side, and Rio Wida, Leonardo Fioravanti, Ezekiel Lau, Ryan Callanan, Alejo Munoz, Ramsey Bukiam, Dylan Moffat, Callum Robson, Imakalani Devault, Eitan Osborne, and Zhao Shianka on the men's side. The EDP Vizla Pro Aracera commences on October 1st and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Before we get to today's episode, we have uh, some sad news to report. Over the weekend, former CT surfer Chris Davo Davidson of North Narrabeen, Australia, was killed in tragic circumstances in New South Wales. A child prodigy, Devo was thrust onto Rip Curl's search campaign as a teenager in the 1990s, and he beat a godlike Kelly Slater as a wildcard entrant into the Rip Curl Pro Bells Beach. A couple of stints on the Elite Championship Tour showcased his flashes of brilliance, and he was well-liked outside of the water by his tour peers. Uh, very sad, um, and uh, thoughts are with his family and friends during this time of mourning. All right, episode 125. Today's guest is someone who there really is uh, no other way to put it. He is both anecdotally and quantifiably the number one performance surfboard shaper on the planet at this moment. Originally from Rio de Janeiro, he relocated to San Diego, California in the 1980s and 1990s, where he learned every faucet of board building, ding repair, glassing, sanding, design. He built his board building empire from the ground up. And he and his colleagues have put together the most impressive high-performance team on the planet in 2022. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Sharp Eyes, Marcio Zovi. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. 
And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave, get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. your <laughs> boxing. All right, so we are beyond thrilled to have the most successful high-performance board builder on the planet at this exact moment, Marcio Zuvi of Sharp Eye Surfboards on the lineup today. Marcio, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Stoked. So, so you've, we're going to get into, my God, like the, the probably unprecedented success that your, your company has seen over the last couple of years. But before we get into that, you know, let's get a scene set. Where, where are you today? Who are you hanging out with? What are you up to? Well, you know, right now we're just kind of uh, recovering for, from the final still. It's been like a few weeks and we're still kind of uh, the dust settling. There's a lot going on at the same time. And uh, I feel like almost, I don't know, it's almost like New Year's, Eve, New Year's Eve, you know, it's just like after the party, you just relax. Okay, let's start over again. And uh, it's vacation mode in a way, you know, I'm not shaping anything for any team right now. <laughs> which gotta, it's a relief, man. I'm just tired, you know. But no, it's been great. It's been great. Uh, great phase of, of me, my life personally, you know, and also you know, for the company, no doubt about it. That sounds awesome. And, and obviously reflective of the fact that you and I are recording, you know, just weeks away from, from your maiden world title, um, you know, with longtime team writer Felipe Toledo claiming the WSL crown at the, the recently completed root curl WSL finals at Lower Trestles. You know, for someone like yourself who has been building high performance surfboards for probably over 30 years at this point, to get that world title must must be particularly special to you. Yeah, I, I really never dreamed of when I started, to tell you the truth. You know, a lot of people have many goals and many, many objectives. And, and I, I, I love making surfboards. That that was number one since I was a Grom. And, and, and it just, obviously having a world title, it's, it's just the top, it's just the, the cream. It's something that I never envisioned. Because I started making ding repairs, you know, fixing boards, and uh, and then eventually, you know, going into uh, the all the steps of construction, you know, from glassing to sanding to everything, and and then shaping. So there's a lot to learn, and and the road is long. There, I, I I'm yet to see anyone that really achieves success, you know fast and and figure things out you know in the instant you know it took a long time but it, it came you know and obviously it just doesn't depend only on, on on the quality of the boards that i make obviously as you know you know there's so many shapers that have top top-notch quality out there but unfortunately uh they couldn't have a, a professional surfer that could represent the brand that really could showcase you know the quality of the design and a lot of sometimes go in obscurity people just don't don't see it you know so it's it's a combination of things and i was lucky enough to to have a guy like philippe and and obviously now with with all the other team writers that i have they all have chances of having a title and uh to really showcase how my boards can perform you know we're we're gonna get to the the Again, going back to that word unprecedented, like just how you, you've turned your surfboard team into this buzzsaw at the elite level. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, going back to the, the Rip Curl WSL finals day, 
you're down there, you're on the sand. Um, you've got you know three team riders in Kanoe Garashi, Jack Robinson, and Felipe Toledo on the men's side. H- how how are you feeling being down there on the day? And in particular, you know, once we'd matriculated through that format, and it's Felipe Toledo facing off against Italo Ferreira. You know, what was going through your head in those heats as he was inching closer to a world title there? Well, obviously, there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement because, you know, everything was aligning to go our way. You know, the venue is favorites Philippe by far. He's a local guy. He knows that wave, surfed that wave in all kinds of, you know, conditions. And he knew what to use. A lot of the other surfers were training, as you know, the week before the surf was different. It, it was a mm. lot more swell in the water. So everybody was trying different boards. Philippe was trying different boards. Uh, but then the morning of the, the event, everything was different. Everybody was questioning, oh, man, is the surf dropped? What are we going to ride? Mm. So there was that question of, of a little bit of, oh, no, let's reset everything. Everything that we trained the week, forget about it. This is a whole nother day. Uh, I think uh, this is the right, but what are you going to write? You know, everybody was just kind of scrambling. And, and 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 I was getting nervous because I was like, oh, no, this this is not good, you know. But knowing Philippe, and he was relaxed, his, his, his mood was perfect. I mean, he just kind of was totally in tune with the day. He's fine. He's just, I'm, 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 he was even saying, like, I'm not going to even let it happen for the third heat. I'm just going to kill it in two. I was like, wow, right on. I love that confidence, you know. And But I was nervous because, you know, Italy, even though I don't think Italy surfed that wave as well as Philippe, you know, that's not his home break. And, and his style, mm. I think that wave doesn't suit his style, you know, as much. He's dangerous. I mean, the guy, yeah. the guy. I mean, everybody saw. There was a moment there that I thought like, oh, shoot, we don't have it. You know, he's, mm. he's going to turn. He's going he's gonna to win this thing because – he was really landing almost all the airs that he was trying. So, I mean, the, the format, you know, it's it's great because for me, you know, when, when you guys changed, when WSL changed, there was a lot of talk about of, of being fair or not fair with, with mm. writers that, you know, that's been a whole year having, a, you know, a really good year with incredible results and having a chance to not clinching the title in the end. So... But as, as more we mature the idea, and, and this is the second year, we started to see that, yes, there could be a possibility, which happened with Stephanie and, and Carissa. But, but it's a fair game. It's a fair yeah. game because it's hard for you to really come from fifth and, and knock the, all the way to the end and knock the, the leader three times. So it's it's an up, uphill battle that that it makes even more fair. There, there's there's a couple there's room for improvement there, I think. Mm. But uh, but it's still, I love the format and something that you start the day knowing that towards the end we're gonna we're gonna have a champion. And uh, and there's a lot of like 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 a game. There's a lot of uh, excitement and, and anticipation. So being there that day was just was just incredible. You know, it was was really good. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up too because that is something that I noticed quite a lot in talking to the CT surfers, both the men and the women, after last year's Rip Curl WSL finals was about finals, venues, et cetera, et cetera. And, and really, an overwhelming amount of feedback came back and said, like, look, like just to get a ticket 
to the finals. You have to compete at Pipeline, Sunset Beach, Super Tubos, Bells Beach, Margaret River, Garagigan, uh, Punta Roca, Sakurama, Jebe, Chopu, right? Just to, and you have to, you have to perform across those 10 venues just to get an opportunity in the finals. And when it comes down to the finals venue, and I think a lot of them saw it last year and certainly again this year where they said, we don't want to be at a spot where the wave decides who's going to win the world title. We want to be at a spot where the performance does. And in terms of like a neutral high performance canvas, you know, they're all saying like lower trestles is really, really difficult to beat. You know, I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the board that Felipe rode on finals day this year. It looked like a similar, if not the same board he rode last year. Can you, can you break that down for the listeners? Like, the model, the construction, the fin setup, all of that, or anything, anything that you can share. We won't, we won't mind you for trade secrets, but I'm curious. Yeah, well, the the thing with the quad, it happened mid 2021 when Philippe asked. It was it was his idea actually because I I made plenty of quads in the past, always aiming for either big wave surfing or small wave surfing. Never in my mind uh, would be an an alternative to high-performance surfing until Kelly started to bust some quads and some events, which kind of in, in sometimes I, I saw a, 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 an improvement. I saw I saw advantage in on, in mm. others I didn't. I, I just didn't feel like he was surfing as good with that. So I knew that there was a design that had to be used correctly. You know, on the right or on the right time on the right right spot and philippe wanted a quad philippe always asked for alternative design sometimes in, in, in some breaks that he wanted just to have you know we did a twin bunch of twin fins a bunch of even foam boards uh, high mm. performance foam boards in the quad i asked what, what kind of quad do you want you want a you want a, a small wave board i said no no i want i want something that would be equivalent to my trusters mm. i said okay well let's see what we can come up with and uh and that's when we did one, and uh, he showed me footage, and, and it was about 15% faster, but right off mm. the bat, you know, he was just flying. He had to kind of, kind of slow down in order to not lose the waves so fast because he's already a faster surf surfer. You know, yeah. he's a fast surfer, sure. and for for you to do an equipment that that makes him go even faster, then then it's just like you need to adjust. And uh, when he tried trestles. We saw something there that was like, well, for this wave, you know, which is not a, a, you know, like a very powerful, tons of energy type of wave, that sometimes having a faster board would help you, especially going down the line. There's tons of se- sections to hit, and uh, he was feeling, man, this thing can go through anything here, you know. And uh, all right, let's let's see then. Uh, Let's play around with fins. Let's play around with fin placement. And eventually, we play around with the, also the construction. You know, we did some PUs, some regular epoxies. Eventually, we culminated into talking with the guys at Dark Arts to wrap it with carbon and uh, and see. Because what happened is this. The quad, uh, even if you adjust the fins, the projection is not the same as thruster. You know, when you're mm-hmm. coming off the bottom turn, if you apply too much pressure, it tends to give and, and doesn't throw you up there. So mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, if I cannot correct this with the fin placement, maybe I can correct with materials. So the idea of, of getting the carbon, you know, in the carbon construction, the whole board works like it was a stringer 
when he applies mm. off the bottom turn, that thing would kind of uh, project him, help him to project in compensating the lack that he didn't have from the truster. And the same thing going to when he really leaning on the turns, you know, if you lean too fast, too, too much, it tends to slide and get off track. So we had to adjust that too. But overall, the result was incredible. And he was just flying. When, when he surfed 2021 against Medina, I love it. Mm. I mean, I just like, man, mm. this is one of the best surfings I've seen you do here at, you know, at Russell. So, so was the quad was on the back of his mind. He even took the quad to a few events around the world. It was on the mm. back. I, I think he only surfed it uh, maybe Portugal after Hawaii. But, you know, mm. like the first five events, really there were like big wave, waves of consequence that really didn't have much use for that design in particular. So a lot of people ask, man, he didn't use that quad throughout the year. No, he had it on the bag and he right, trained yeah. with it a couple of times. He always testing to see if that would be the design. Right. But obviously there's not many waves like trestles, you know, around the tour, you know that would have that that shape you know it's a perfect point with that kind of a that kind of a wave that's not necessarily you know too strong and mm. uh, the advantages of the quad fit right in i mean and and he and he decided again 2022 on the final after try he had some good thrusters don't get me wrong he had some boards that he felt like oh man these are good but when the day that we woke up and we saw that the surf dropped it was a little softer. You saw that the lip was a little crumbly. The swell mm. direction in the wind wasn't, you know, the best, you know, um, trestles. And he's like, I'm going with the quad, you know. You know, after he, again, I'm glad you brought, thank you for that. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the way he surfed last year because I felt like that was one of the more underappreciated stories of the finals of last year just because of how well he shaped. And, and of course, people have ridden quads in the past, but like, these are the most stakes possible for the best surfers on the planet. And he's out there riding something that's such a departure from all of his competitors and doing so, so well. And even going back again to this year, I'm, I'm like, I still feel like it's gone largely underreported. It's like the world champion won the world title on a quad. And you had, th you had two other team riders on the men's side um, and uh, Joanne DeFay on the women's side too. And we obviously can't speak to non-sharp eye team riders, but I have heard from a few of them, I think it was Baron Mamiya on a podcast earlier in the year where I brought that board up from last year's finals and he said, that is hands down the best board I've ever ridden, the the quad that set up the, the way that the board is. And I'm wondering if any of your other team riders are like, yeah, I want one of those too, or if they, they're, they haven't kind of gone into that phase of experimentation with you yet. They did try some. Kanoa had one that surfed really well and... Uh... And uh, I think Jack Jack had one too, but I, I don't know if he tried. At least he didn't try prior to the event. Mm. But I think it has to do a little bit of a confidence. It depends on the mind mm. of each one individually. You know, some guys uh, are afraid to go too extreme or, or experiment too much, especially, you know, doing the tour year, you know, you don't have much time to play around. That's right. fact. You know, once you you figured out the boards that work the best and all the conditions, you have to stick to it because if if for some reason you start experimenting too much and you, you get off track, you can jeopardize performance you know, and, and everything can kind of, you know, go to go bad. So anyway, uh, now is the time. Now is the break that we can kind of play around and, and, and do things. 
But Philippe is a different mindset. He's really confident in his ability. And he's just, he can switch from one design to the other and really adjust and, and, and really in, in a few sessions, he's, he's on it, you know, and he's confident. He's just like, hey, this is fine, you know? Uh, so I think uh, that has to do with that. Even though a lot of guys wanted to um, try the quad to see, you know, what's all about. I think uh, in the end, Philippe was the one that, you know, wanted to to surf at the contest. You know, ha- have you seen an uptick in uh, customer orders for that board with the quad yeah. setup between last year and that? Day? I can yeah. really imagine Always. everyone's like, "Oh, that oh one, everybody, yeah. everybody!" Last year we had it, but we didn't feel <laughs> yeah, like yeah, launching, course, uh, launching, uh, you know, because we felt like, well, it's too early, you know. But then again, he surfs, and now now he won. Uh, and, and it's going to be a good, it's a good board all around for, for the, it doesn't have to be a pro, you know, I mean, I, I you probably read quads before I had really good quads in the past. It's, it's yeah. a great design, you know, yeah. and, uh, it's going to be a good board for, for an intermediate, even a beginner guy, you know, if you can tell the difference, you know, sometimes, you know, you see all, all these beginners, they wanted to try what the pros are writing, but they still, you know, on the beginning stages that they can't really sure. tell the difference, you know, so. Yeah, I remember when I worked at uh, Rip Curl Surf Center in high school and oh, college. Yeah. That was always the I want to ride the Kelly board. I'm like, I don't know. I don't. I don't even want to ride the Kelly board. Like, uh, <laughs> like it's funny. Well, it's man, funny it, nowadays. It, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, a huge congratulations. Everything that you built over the last few years and, and really for you know, three decades culminated with a, a well-deserved world title in Felipe, and I think it's the first of many to come. We're going to take a, a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to dive uh, deep into who Marcio Zovi is. We'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 
So, Marcio, you've been based in San Diego for quite a while now, but um, not born there, not raised there. Can you give us a bit of background of, of you know, where you're born, what your family life was like growing up, and, and when you made the move uh, from Brazil to the States? Well, uh, my family is Jewish from France. Uh, my grandfather was staying in Paris during the World War II, yeah, I mean, not during, prior to World War II, and he saw Hitler... Uh, starting to go crazy and cross the borders, and and he decided to um, to move uh, to Brazil, which he had business in Brazil already. So mm-hmm. my dad escaped. He was already 18 years old when France uh, when the war fully broke out. You know, so my dad was uh, 18. He he moved to Brazil and uh, uh, eventually mar- married my mom later. But when he was 18, got to Brazil in order to get the citizenship. Uh, in Brazil, you have to join the military. So he joins the military to get the citizenship, and then Brazil joins the war. And now <laughs> he's going to be sent back again to Europe. So he was freaking out. My grandfather was freaking out. No, no, I just got out of there for a reason, and somehow they were able to put him on the reserves, and he didn't go to the war. But eventually marries my mom, and uh, and then I was born in uh, Rio. Yeah. And my dad, uh, it was a sportsman. He he loved. Uh, he started soccer when soon as he moved to Brazil. Then beach volleyball. He played all his life. And when I was a grom, I used to go to the beach every day. I mean, not every day, but the weekends for sure, and some days of the week because he lived in Copacabana, and he owned mm-hmm. a, a little uh, a little court, uh, volleyball court, and uh, he everybody used to gather there and play. And I used to just body surf and boogie board, you know, until I was uh, 11 years old. Then I, I got a board. That was like in the late 70s. And uh, so I start surfing Copacabana. <laughs> it's a close out beach break. Yeah. yeah. Not much to do there. And eventually my dad moved to Barra uh, away from, from the, the city. He wanted to have a house, move away from apartment living. And then I would start to use, uh, I mean, start to go more towards uh, Baja and the other breaks down south of Rio. Hmm. And at 12 years old, I mean, I, I really wanted to have, my dad gave me a, a, a broken, a long board, you know, and it was uh, everybody already riding the pintails and the seven O's and the short, even the shorter boards were like towards the late 70s. You're starting to see in Brazil, some of the smaller boards and fishes. You know, I wanted to have that. And my dad, no, 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 stick with your longboard. So I was like, no, no, I got to do something about this. So I went and, and basically deglassed the whole thing, just pulled all the glass on my longboard and exposed the foam, made a huge mess at the garage. <laughs> and my mom comes in and see all that foam dust. And I basically destroyed the foam because I, I, I used his, uh, sh- she had like a little coconut uh, rasp to just to right. shave <laughs> and i used that like a shoe form and shaved the whole thing did whatever I, I back then there was no internet there was no there was no way to learn really you know other someone teach you or there's no video there's no there's no information about how to do it but when i hadn't did it and destroyed the board and my dad what do you do and it's like well i, I want a shoreboard didn't want to give me i made my one but now i don't know how to glass it so he he realized i was at my age i was really curious about those things so he at that point, he said, like, you know what? I'm going to help you out. So we went to a shop, talked to the guys, bought fiberglass, bought resin, kind of figured it out. They told me, hey, you mix these things and you do it. 
So I started. I started in Brazil building my own boards and 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 for for my friends. You know, in fact, I have to tell my friends that had a lot of patience with I did a lot of bad boards in the beginning <laughs> and they bought them all. But that's the learning curve when you don't know what you're doing. You know, you know, and so I appreciated all these guys that are like bought boards that like just bark all the way. And uh, but I had to figure it out. It was a it was a learning, uh, you know, as as it goes. Uh, I make one board. I try it. Doesn't work. Why it didn't work? So I went back to the drawing board, shape another one. So that's how it was back then in in Brazil. Uh, sometime late eighties, uh, I moved to San Diego to learn English, to study a little bit, and uh, I was going to university in Brazil. I was doing uh, computer engineering. And then uh, I really didn't like that's that that's not what I wanted to do for for my living. I, I like surf. I wasn't a professional board builder in Brazil. I was going to school. I was doing some boards for friends, but not making a living off of it. I was still living with my parents, you know. Right. So, uh, yeah. but when I came over here, I had to figure out a way that I could uh, support myself doing my my study. So that's why I kind of went around and take a look on the. Uh, and then San Diego then in the 80s was uh, the biggest concentration of, of surfboard manufacturers. It was the biggest mm-hmm. factories. We're all based here in San Diego. Unfortunately, not anymore. You know, right. but back then it was. It sounds like the first board you shaped, as you kind of highlighted, was almost out of necessity because, you know, well, I, I have this big board. I want to have a board like everyone else, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. But then, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like, the process of actually trying to reshape that longboard sparked something in you engineering-wise or design-wise where you're like, okay, what if I did that next time? What if I did that next time? Where it's not that you're not interested in your own surfing anymore, but it's like it almost awakens kind of a new passion for you in the sense of, ooh, I can use my hands and I can create something. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, for sure. I was always kind of really curious, you know, and I, and I wanted to... To understand why, why the board was working that way. But I had to wait to make another one in order to see if my ideas were correct or not, you know, because so, right. you know, it was a matter of placing fins, everything was glass on, everything was, you know, it was just, there's so many things to learn on the on the design aspects. And, and I was eager to keep on making it. So that's why, you know, I, I, I always appreciate a lot the patience that my friends had at that time because <laughs> they were buying the materials and I was working for free. So you go ahead and buy the blank, buy the glass, I'll glass, I do everything, but I need to make these boards. So I, you know, if you let me try to, I'm going to learn from it, you know. Right, right. Were, was there ever anything else for you before that that you was, you know, was sort of um, craftsman based for you? Or, do you? or did you do anything else with your hands or was this kind of the first project where you're like, oh, this is... This is, I like this. No, I think that was it. I think surf. I mean, I was I was surfing at that time in seventies. It was I don't know. I I was hooked. It was hooked big <laughs> time. Just by being on the beach. When I was a grom, I remember seeing these guys walking around with these boards, and I was like, oh man, I have to have one of these. My mind said, no, you're too young for that. You know, these long boards are too heavy. You can't even carry it anyway. You know, I'm not gonna be carrying. You know, it's like, oh man. So I'm, I'm looking at all this happening, and and I wasn't part of it, and 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 I just loved it. I just I just want to be. I mean, I might. When I got my first board, I couldn't even sleep. I was just that <laughs> thing was right right next to me all day long. The smell I smell up to to this day. I smell the wax. 
you know, this, it was pineapple. Yeah. Uh, we had a wax research, which is the brand that, uh, that we could get in Brazil. And, you know, I waxed that thing and just left it on my room. The smell of that wax was all over. I was dreaming for the day I was going to mm -hmm. put that thing in the water. And it was an old, old, <laughs> old <laughs> board, but it doesn't matter. It just didn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's it, magic. I, I was still magic. It, it, yeah. it was there, you know. So, so it's the 1980s, you're in San Diego, um, and now you have to support yourself. And, and as you said, like there's huge board builder factories in San Diego at the time. There's, you know, Rusty Prisendorfer, Gary Linden, the list goes on and on. When you say that you had to support yourself, did you go and begin working with one of those factories? Did you start out on your own? What was the, the process between starting to work in San Diego and then eventually developing your own label in Sharpie. Yeah, I mean, I, I went around the factories, obviously, because I really didn't know San Diego was the, the constant, there was the biggest center for surfboard manufacturing. I had a friend that represented a Brazilian company here, and I came to stay with him first when I was uh, learning English. And uh, he was like, dude, here's not just surfing. There's a lot of good waves, but here is the biggest factories are here. Diamond glassing, Pacific glassing. Mm. Back then, everything was glassed in these big factories that could produce 150, 200, 300 boards. I mean, it, it was it was massive. And, and I was like, oh, wow, I want to see these factories, see what it's all about. So I, I, I traveled, got in the car and just went to every single one of them to see, you know. And I was like, man, I wish I could kind of maybe work somewhere there and learn even more. You know, I know how to build a board now, but uh, obviously I didn't have access to the same materials, the same uh, tools in Brazil, you know, so I still have a lot to learn if I could at least work in one of these places. And so I went around some of the factories and uh, uh, nobody was really needing anything, but I guess... <laughs> I guess it was the fact that I was from Brazil. I think Brazilians had a really bad reputation. They sometimes mm. they still do. But anyway, back then it was bad because in the 80s, there was big fights of Brazilians and Hawaiians. In the, and I guess most of the guys in California on the board building scene had a lot of ties to Hawaiians. And, uh, and when they find out that was Brazil, no, 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 thanks, beat it. And, but yeah. I was pretty persistent. You know, it was like I, I kept on going over and just hanging out and, and then until they realized that I, I mean no harm. You know, I just I just <laughs> I just want to I just want to build boards, you know. And yeah. then uh, Joe Roper, which is uh, the, the number one uh, surfboard repair guy in, in San Diego, if not in, in the country. I mean, it's a, he had a factory of surfboard repair. Now they, he has a factory of glassing too, which, which is a big, big factory. But back then it was just uh, more repairs. And he was kind of needing someone. So I, I went there and did a little test and he saw that I, I could, I could uh, manage sanders and things like that. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, he's like, okay, come on down. And, uh, and we started working there. It's interesting the way you describe it too, because it was similar when you're talking about it in Brazil and, and, there, I think there's a big parallel with shaping and even surfing, especially across these decades, because, you know, now, as you pointed out, like you can just look at your phone or look at your computer. And if you're a young surfer, you can watch, you know, Felipe Toledo in a championship tour event, just bang, bang, it's on there. You can watch someone free surfing. You can learn about fitness and diet and board design and everything else. And similarly for shapers today, 
you probably have so much more access to information than you would have in the past. Like in the 70s and 80s, if you were a young surfer, you just had to wait. You, 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 your point of reference was just the best surfer at your beach. Or maybe the tour would come to town, you get to watch sort of international surfers for a couple of days. And similarly with shaping as well. And, and as you said, you, you, know, you just had to go down to the shop and talk to people when you're in Brazil. And, and then when you're in San Diego, you had to just work your way into ding repair. And, and it was just, it was, I guess my point is, it, it was a lot harder to get the information on, on how to get better at things back then. Yeah, but you tell you to looking back, I wouldn't change anything in a way mm. that um, sometimes all the information you get online, I mean, through computers, through internet, mm. helps you a great deal, no doubt about it. But it, it gives you a sense that you don't need more. You have enough. Mm. I got the information. I know everything. But the reality is not. You have to be step by step. Nowadays, I see a lot of guys wanting to build boards, but they just already wanted to start shaping. I want to just say, yeah. how, how do I figure this software here so I can build my board? And they couldn't care less about the other, other parts of construction, which for me is they are as important as, as shaping, as designing a board. Because yeah. I started doing ding repair, not only I was able to see, uh, it, it's like you were in a, in a library and you like books. You see books from all sorts of places and people and ideas. Working with Ding Repair, uh, we're fixing about 80 boards a week. It came from old longboards from the 60s and 70s and, and guns, pintails, all the way to the modern thrusters from Channel Islands to Lindens and Rusties and the top guys at that time. And so I was having access to everything you can think of, 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 of being able to see all these designs. And really, I was like, oh, man, this is a dream, you know? So not only I was understanding and figuring it out, but also I was getting good at it, you know, as far as fixing, dealing with resin, materials, and all that. So I started to glass boards. I started to sand boards. And nowadays, I translate that when I'm building boards for the pros. When I design a board for Philippe, for Canoa, for anyone, for Jack, uh, after the board is shaped, I go down there and I talk to my glasser. Okay, this one, we're going to do it this way. Let's, let's do it. And he gives, he gives his input. I give my input because I know what I'm talking about. I know how to glass a board. Mm. Same thing goes after the sanding. Let's, let's send it this way. Let's do this way. Edge-wise, weight. All these things are, are factor. You know, when sometimes I see factories that don't have that under their control because they just shape and then they subcontract the glass and they're only going to receive the board finish, they mm. can re cannot really control these details, which for me, they're super important, you know. That's interesting. It, it, it reminds me of, of uh, kind of try the way I talk to my kids about the difference between like there's earned information and then there's accessed information. And if you pull up the information on your phone, you're just accessing it. But if you have to go out and work through the process and read about it and talk to someone about it and do it, you're, you're earning that information. There's a huge difference like in terms of what sticks and what you're able to then develop, you know, so, so you're out there, it's the 80s, it's San Diego. How does the Sharp Eye label come into being? When does it come into being? What was the intention when, when you started it? Well, I was doing ding repairs and, and I obviously started to make my own boards and some friends' boards in San Diego. 
I had no label. I had like a, a Z dot, just like Rusty had an R dot. I had a Z dot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just for lack of any idea, it's just like, well, I just need to make a board instead of, you know. So anyway, so I'm making some boards. And, and here comes this, this guy that was a really good surfer from Florida to fix his board. He had a Channel Islands. Hmm. He was uh, sponsored by Channel Islands, I think. Uh, his name was Boyce Hundley. And then he goes and is like, yeah, I need to fix this thing. And uh, and I ask, how, how is this board works? Well, I'm just starting to work with those guys. You know, uh, it's not exactly, you know, my dimensions and blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm curious if you would like to try one. Oh, you shape? Yeah, and I shape some boards. You know, so I show him uh, some of my boards. Just like the movie North Shore when Turtle goes in the closet and pulls that little board. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and he goes, oh wow, well yeah, just go ahead and make me a board, you know, because he just didn't think much about what what's this Brazilian guy doing ding repair here is going to make me a board. But I kind of wow, a good surfer wanted to try my boards. Let me let me rush this thing. So I went ahead and grabbed the blank, did the shape. In three days, I had a board for him. When he came back to pick his his Merrick uh, repaired, uh, I had the board done. And uh, he took it out to try and ended up being, I was lucky. The board actually worked pretty good. And he came back and said, dude, can you make me another one? This thing worked pretty good. It's like, oh, let me try. So it went from there. You know, all of a sudden, I started to get uh, a lot of friends and a lot of guys, you know, asking because they, they like it. And, and obviously, I believe at that time, I, 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 I took a break and I went to Australia for a few months, came back. With, with some news, uh, I think at that time, was right doing the transition of the flat bottom V-bottoms into the concaves. That was like really early 90s, you know, because uh, uh, Greg Weber uh, came up with this crazy idea of band uh, a 7.0 and put ton of concave. I mean, we're talking about an inch deep concave. And I, I, when I went to Australia, I started to see the, the brands in Australia experimenting with these super deep concaves. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. I haven't seen that in the U.S. Oh, I was, so I was eager to go back. And as soon as I got back, I, I wanted to, to make some of these for myself. So I was one of the first to, to incorporate you know, this into my, my designs and have people try. And people kind of, wow, this is something there. It's, it's really different. A lot of bite, a lot of drive. And uh, I started to use that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I was starting to get a lot of orders. And, and I, I was like, man, I need a brand. I need a name. I cannot continue to, to build boards with no name. Z dot. Pretty soon, Russ is gonna find out. It's gonna, hey man, change that. You know, I was like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I got to do something. And uh, and I had this idea. So like, okay, what do you need as a designer when you're in the shaping room? When you're looking at all those lines, you have to have the eyesight. You have to have the vision that not necessarily everybody does have, you know, I, I'm seeing things that sometimes I show to people that they're not seeing what I'm seeing. And I was like, Hmm, you better have a sharp eye to see these things, you know? And, and, and then I was like, yeah, sharp eye, that, that, that kind of, that's kind of name that, that could be, that could be it. So I, I came up with the name and eventually I had to create a logo. So I wanted to stay with the eye without being like too, 
you know, I don't know, to look like a, nose, a, yeah. a Hindu eye, you know, like yeah, yeah. A, something that. So I kind of incorporated the eye being an eye, a real eye in a wave. The wave has the eye, the eye of the barrel, that kind of thing. So kind of a mix and blend. And, and that's what it came out to, to be. It is a cool logo. I, I mean, and it's such a, I, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that trip to Australia because it does feel like so much in surfing, whether you're building boards or whether you're a professional surfer, is timing based. And, and, and I mean, even just looking at the last 50 years, like the tectonic shifts in board design and how that's impacted the way surfers approach wave riding, it, you see like, you know, surfers rise and fall, shapers rise and fall, and, and so much changes so quickly. And I'd imagine in the 90s and the oddies and the 2010s, you've been through a lot, not just design-wise, but the way that people want to surf. And then also from a business standpoint, like brick-and-mortar retail to do you have your own shops? Do you do online stuff? It, the things from your perspective, I would imagine over the last 30 years, must have changed so fast for sharp eye in so many ways oh hugely i mean starting with the with the actual technology of of the basic building the the shape i remember you know uh we were getting busy when we we, we formed the company in 90, 1993 and and we started to get a lot of boards and there's so many boards i could shape by hand so i hired some people to help me out we developed our first you know uh profiling machine just to 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 take the the rocker down from the blanks but there's still a lot of labor so sometime in 1996 or 7 i mean before that uh here in america uh, i heard about uh, the guys in Encinitas. uh they kept a lot a lot secret secrecy around it was when they retrofitted a cnc machine from a uh, different application, I believe it was like uh, furniture, and adjusted to be able to secure uh, a foam blank. And with a CAD programming, which is fairly complex programming, uh, they were starting to cut blanks. Nobody knew. There was rumors about a machine shaping and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and nobody really had access to it. I think one of the first companies to have access with Channel Islands and uh, I think it was it was Tony Channing was involved with that and some other guys that eventually became KKL, and, and uh, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I was um, at the same time going to Brazil and sometime late in the 90s, like 97 or 98, I came across this uh, Brazilian doctor. The guy was... Uh, was a doctor by trade and in in but he was also a board builder but the guy was extremely intelligent and he was like one of those scientist minds that, that like just always figuring things out what how, how to improve things and he was like you know what this way of shaping boards with a planer this is old this is there's no nothing to it you know you can't reproduce it you, you take forever it's taking an hour to do this it, it, it's just this is not, not smart. I'm going to create something. And he, believe it or not, he created the first uh, CNC machine uh, customized for the individual shaper that you did not have to go to school to learn CAD programming. You could just learn. He created the both. He created the software and he created the physical mm -hmm. machine. 
But the software was really well taught that he knew he was talking, his, his client base was shapers, wherein the majority did not have a, 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 you know, a, a, a deep education. And so he made it a software that was really interactive, really easy to learn, that you could build your board. So I saw that idea. I was like, man, this thing really makes a difference. So uh, I cut a few boards there when I was in Brazil to see. And I was like, I wanted to get it. So I was the first guy in California to buy one of those. That was in 2000. We ordered in 1999. Our machine came in 2000. Then Rusty bought one in 2003, I believe. Lost bought one in 2003. Everybody bought one. Timmy Patterson. Uh, you name it, everybody had to have one of those because now you're independent. Now you don't need an engineer to scan your board because before right. that's what we were doing. We we're glassing, shaping, hand shaping your board, glassing the board, giving to these guys. These guys would old fashioned scanners would scan the board and they would reproduce that. But if I wanted to change anything, I couldn't. I had my hands tied because I would depend on these guys to modify. And there was these guys were not shapers. So they really, mm. you know, the ideas were lost in translation right there. And, 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 and I was like, okay, it was great for production. It was great to copy things, but I need something that I can change. I can be in charge of my ideas and, and, and translate that into what I wanted to make. And that's, that, that machine was, uh, you know, was, uh, was a turning point on, on, on surfboard design, you know. Yeah. You've been uh, on the record in the past as saying it, it seems like your design tendencies are very collaborative. You know, you have your own ideas, but you might be working with a sharp eye licensee in another country. And and there's a collaboration of ideas similarly with, you know, team rider feedback. You know, in those early years through the through the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s, what did the sharp eye team look like in terms of who was on it? And, and what kind of feedback did you get that, that helped you evolve through those years? I had some guys and uh, they all, some are doing, you know, very consistently QS uh, runs and events. Some were just really good surfers locally to help me out a lot, you know, on the, on the learning process. But really to be able to uh, have a, a, a CT guy that was completely out of my league. I don't think I was number one ready for it financially or even with the knowledge to be able to to give uh, you know the, the proper equipment you know on a tour for someone at that time. But uh, not that I didn't want it to, I wanted to, but I just I felt like okay, this is a little too much for me right now. But I and then I uh, had a guy from New Jersey that was knocking at the door forever. His name was Dean Randazzo. And he qualified, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was 1996, 1995. And uh, he just, uh, it was one year because he got injured. Hmm. And, uh, but he, that was my first, uh, you know, debut on the tour. Eventually came, you know, uh, other guys, but yeah. But uh, yeah, the team was basically uh, uh, amateurs and, and some uh, semi-pros, but nothing on the tour, you know. And I had some covers, you know. I had a, a surfer in the surfing cover in 1995 with Todd Morcom from Florida and Dan Kennedy from California, you know. That was luck. That was really luck because, you know, back then, for you to have a cover on the magazine, 
you better invest some money in the magazine, you know, or either the photo is something out of this world that they will pick to, to be the cover or centerfold or even back cover, you know, you have to be one of the top advertisers in order to have that. And somehow I did, and I did on the same month. I did into 1995 on March, both issues came surfer first. I went to, to buy the surfer and I looked at no way I got the cover. Is the surfing out yet? Oh, surfing out uh, tomorrow should be out. Comes in the surfing and I got the cover on surfing. I was like, I, it's insane. I don't know what happened there. I mean, maybe it was a mistake or something, but I got it. So that helped me out a lot. You know, that helped me out a lot. So people are starting to see, okay, well, maybe, uh, there's something there with this guy, you know. When when you mentioned before the the financial readiness to to support surfers at the CT level, I'm curious. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the Jersey Devil, Gene Dean Randazzo was on tour in the '90s. You know, for perspective, how many boards per season would Dan uh, sorry, Dan would Dean expect to get from you um, at that time? You know, in the '90s, like because you. I'll get to it in a minute, but there's some horror stories about, you know, how many boards CT surfers get these days. But I'm curious as to how many they got, you know, when Dean was surfing on tour in the 90s. I think back then it was about 30, 30 Mm -hmm. boards. It it wasn't that that many Uh, besides Mm -hmm. the Hawaiian quiver because Hawaiian, you you used to have to bracket sizing a little bit more. But but the tour stops, you could use a lot of the same. And uh, it wasn't, you know boards break obviously you know you have to replace here and there but no it wasn't like what it is today today it seems like it's it's a lot more you know well we you don't have to name any names to protect anyone but (laughs) but but if and and you don't even actually have to talk about your own your i will name names now is my time to vent out let's go let's go let's put the pressure on them what what would you expect for like a top 10 championship tour surfer whether they surf for you or not, how many boards do you think they go through per season? Minimum, I would say 60 boards. Mm-hmm. Maximum double, 120 boards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, realistically, you know, every every stop on the on the tour is expected that I'm going to shape between 10 and 15 boards mm. because I feel like, you know, I wanted to cover all angles of that break from right. you know different conditions that can arise you know different you know like bell's beach can be bell's big can be bell's soft can be bell's on the, on the point it can be so many bells and and you wanted to be able to 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 have the guy ready for it and, and be able to pull out of the bag the the equipment for it so we felt like this is enough but sometimes that's what i tell most of my guys i said guys you got a magic one save it you know because boards there's so many so much involved in the manufacturing like for example when when the tour was starting uh right in march right in march here i am getting blanks that were blow in the winter in california Mm. where sometimes there's a little bit of humidity on the wood so uh the boards the first batches of boards that i was making wasn't the best batches that i can make just starting Mm. off from the blank itself and then glassing right. in in not so ideal environments, even though I have heaters and stuff, but it was it, the, the, it was not easy to make 
the crispiness, nice light board, like, like I can make it uh, during the spring and summer. So right. I always say like, hey, boards sometimes can be like wine on that level, you know, like get a good one, save it just in case. But they don't listen. They don't listen. They just go and <laughs> ride the magic one on, on the training. They break it. <laughs> and uh, and then and they expect that I'm going to be producing these magic boards over and over and over, which is great. I, 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 I'm honored for all the confidence, but I know I'm my, my foot on the ground. I know the reality that this doesn't happen all the time. I will have right. to work hard for it. That's why I kind of try to explain to them and educate them and say, listen, this, there's certain things that, that, that make the board magic, uh, a combination of factors that I cannot reproduce all the time. I can, I can reproduce the shape the best of my ability. It's, mm-hmm. You can barely tell the difference. It's almost the same. But if the blank had a little bit of a difference on the, on the type of wood or the foam was a little bit heavier, then the glassing was a little bit, just changed the balance. It's another board. On that level, these guys, it's another board in the water. Maybe my right. level or a beginner or intermediate level won't tell the difference. But these guys, this is the Formula One of surfing. You know, every minute detail matters. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've been around enough CT surfers where they've gotten their packs of boards before. And, and I'm not, I'm an intermediate surfer, but I've been around boards quite a bit. And I will look at, I've seen this happen so many times. The surfer will get 12 boards. They're all exactly the same. And they'll grab them, feel them. Yes, no, no. Yes. And I'm like, how are you, how are you doing that? And it is, it's something that is, yeah. maybe it's a bit of bullshit, but it's also, as you said, they're, they're F1 drivers and their sensitivity to the equipment is so, so high that, that 99.9% of surfers would be like, I've got no idea why these boards are different. It's true. It's true. We're going to take one more break to get another word in from our sponsors and we'll be back with our final segment. We'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. So, so we've orbited this a few times, but my goodness, in the last few years, the Sharp Eye program has assembled 
bar none, the most high performance surf team on the planet, you know, and, and just at a glance, we talked about, you know, the recently crowned world champion, Felipe Toledo, uh, two-time Rip Curl WSL Final Five competitor, Joanne DeFay, but you've also got Baron Mamiya, Cody Young, Jake Marshall, Jet Schilling, Kano Igarashi, Macy Callahan, Miguel Pupo, Morgan Sibilic, now Rio Waida, like uh, the list, uh, Tatiana Weston Webb, Silvana Lina, the, the list goes on and on and on. And um, we haven't released it yet, but we, we have done a, a board builders ranking uh, for the season. Um, we've done it both men's and women's uh, ranking the performances of surfers who finished in the quarterfinals or higher. Um, you are far and away uh, the winner from the 2022 championship tour oh, cool. season right on. Um, in a huge, huge way. And um, these numbers were, were done actually before the final, so it was after Tahiti. Um, but on the men's side, for example, you are three times uh, the points of what the, the second place has on mm -hmm. the men's side. And on the women's side, um, you're just there at second. And then again, on the combined, you're, you're just head and shoulders above everyone. It's, it's, it's really impressive, and it was something that you could kind of see for a few years, like the, the relationship with Felipe, you know, the acquisition of Kanoa Igarashi and just people coming into the program, given what we've talked about on today's uh, podcast already, what, what's it been like from your seat over the last few years and just seeing this team build into the, the best surf team on the planet? In a business standpoint, it's a huge investment that, mm. Uh, a lot of uh, my competitors, you know, friends of mine, some people say, like, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Hmm. You know, this is too many people. How can, how can you manage, you know? But I, I love the competitive side of surfing, too. You know, I love surfboards, but I, I love the competition. And uh, I really embrace uh, the, the WSL, you know, um, league in a way that it's not only showcasing the best surfers in the world it's it's the opportunity to see how far my equipment can go how well they gonna perform you know and and, and i want to see that i want to see my my boards in all conditions going to the point that people really see wow this 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 something there you know that's for me considering that we are uh, 95% of what we make here at the factory is high performance. Different than other brands, you know? There's a lot of brands, surf, surfboard brands that really went into a variety of designs, you know, uh, call it retro. Nowadays, it's not retro anymore because it's valid. It's, it's, it's right. current. But, you know, the variety from fishes to hybrids, and, and, you know, which is great. A lot of these guys are, are doing really well financially you know they don't produce as many boards number numbers uh you know uh, they're not there but they they have a lot of value in it they, they charge really high prices for their for their boards there's a lot of value in the glassing and all that so they don't almost feel the need on on uh, or really getting into the high performance uh, surfboards but but i love the thing you know so i i throughout all these phases since i started a lot of people ask hey shops ask hey can you can you make some longboards 
And I was like, no, I don't make longboards. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, because the demand is here for longboards. Everybody wants longboards. It's like, yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't. But I know a lot of guys that can do really good longboards. I can direct you towards them. And it, mm-hmm. it's on and on. I mean, every time right. people are asking me to do all kinds of designs, and I just always shine and I focus 100% into the high performance in the competition because that's that's what I like. That's what's my passion. So, yeah, the thing with, with the team growing, you know, obviously now is it's this this is it, you know, but I can't afford to have any more anyone <laughs> because, I, I, you know, I can't physically shape that many boards. But obviously, you have to understand that the business was done as it was growing internationally, mm-hmm. uh, was allowing my licensees to jump in and be able to participate on this team process. So right. Australia, Brazil, Peru, uh, France, Portugal, everybody have the local team in which they, the local shapers, make the, the team boards for the local guys. And these local guys that we have quite a few uh, can eventually be the next uh, CT guys qualifying. That's an example of Rio Aida, you know, getting yeah. sharp eyes made in Bali. And now it's, it's qualifying. Same thing, uh, Australia actually... Uh, have Macy uh, before she qualified. So, and, but now Jack is different because Jack was already on the tour, but uh, it, you know decided to join in, join forces with us in Australia. But our shapers on on these uh, licensee uh, places, uh, they're really good. I mean, I right. see the the sharp eye uh, boards made in Australia. Dude, we're fighting, you know, to see. I, when when I get boards here and I show to my sanders, look at the edge that these guys are doing in Australia. They're doing better than us. Let's do better than them. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's a healthy competition in a way because we are all about the same designs that we're creating, but we wanted to be able to to improve and 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 you know and and, and beat each other. So that's right. how it came about. Like right now, uh, a lot of the Jacks boards are made in Australia. Uh, there's some boards, Miguel Pupo got a lot of boards made in Brazil. Rio got mm-hmm. a lot of boards made in Australia, in Bali, and got some here. Mm-hmm. You know, Tatiana gets boards from here, gets boards from Brazil, got boards from uh, from Australia. So uh, the way I, I structure the, the business allows all my team, which is a large team, as they travel, they can order the boards if they need it, you know, and right. have the boards made uh, where the, the licensees are located. That makes a lot of sense. That And that is like one of the, you know, it is one of the interesting things that I've heard over and over and over, over the last few years, whether it's from CT surfers that, that have been getting a lot of boards from a lot of different shapers or people around the CT, maybe their coaches or otherwise, that same thing, they can have access to all these other boards. And, you know, the, the feedback I've heard over the last few years when someone's kind of decide I'm going to be writing sharp eyes is always the same, which is all these boards are really good. For some reason, this one, these boards from, from Marcio just excel. They get faster through my turns instead of slowing down, which is really, I don't understand how it happens. Um, but that's what's happening. And, and number one, so congratulations, that's kind of incredible. Um, but then number two, I'm like, I'm always baffled because, you know, there there are world-class board builders, you know, dozens, you know, building boards for championship tour surfers. And I don't think I've ever seen a moment in time where 
the consensus is for some reason these boards are the way to go. You brought up Jack Robinson. That's a perfect example because Jack's someone that recently signed with you and, and as someone with the profile that he has and the attention that he has, he could have gone really with anyone. I'm sure he was getting boards from everyone, but in the end he went with, with SharpEye because those are the boards that worked. It's, it really, really is impressive um, in the sense of what you guys have been able to accomplish in the last couple of years. Well, but, but I got to, I got to, let you know that besides making the boards around the world, you know, and, and, and working with these guys, we have a team manager too. You probably know Yufu. Yep. That Yufu. helps yep. a great deal put this all together in a way that the, the, the tour is so fast paced, you know, mm-hmm. one event after the other, one week in between that we have to, I travel a lot. He travels a lot, you know, so when I'm not in the event, he is an event. Sometimes we're both in the event. And right. uh, we, he's not only making sure everybody is okay with the equipment, but sometimes he, he's carrying, I mean, he went to Australia to Margaret River with two huge bags, 12 boards in each bag, getting bus. I mean, it, it's, it, it's guy worked a lot, you know, to be able to support this large team in, in all the stops, making sure everybody is, is, is covered. And, and I like to go to the events because, I number one, I see everybody there. And I talked about the boards and I see what's working, what's not, you know, in order to, to go back to the drawing board and change what I need to change, you know. Mm. So that way next year, because I'm going to make boards for that venue only next year. Mm. So next year, here I am fresh on my mind, come back home, make all my notes on my computer and everything else. So that way we can upgrade and, and, and make the changes for – for when he goes back to whatever, you know, the place uh, again. So that's how we work, but it's a teamwork. You know, it's not just right. me on the shaping room, shaping the boards and you guys on your own. There's a lot involved with that. And, uh, and otherwise, you know, it couldn't be done. And, and like you said, a lot of the other manufacturers, the, the guys that I see out there on the tour right now, DHD, Lost, you know, Mayhem, Channel Islands, JS, all these guys, they make incredible boards. They do. But you have to devote the time. You got to be on it. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. You know, you got to make everything click together. And you have to be. And sometimes there's many, many spots on the tour that I was solo. I think I was the only shaper there. I didn't see anybody else. I look at where is everyone? You know, nobody came. And, uh, I understand everybody have big business to run and but if you if you wanted to be successful on the on the league if you wanted to, if competition is your gig you got to devote the time no doubt about it uh, you just put Yufu's business out on Front Street because some of your team writers that haven't had him bring boards to them, they're like, well, he can just take my boards for me. <laughs> He's gonna be, everyone's going to be bothered. <laughs> I'd say that's the way it goes. Yeah. Have you, given the success of the last few years for SharpEye, have you had to turn elite level surfers down? Like surfers coming to you and saying, I want to be on the team, I want to ride for you. And are, as you pointed out, you physically can only make so many boards. Have you had to say, look, we, we can't, we can't do it? Well, there's two kinds of approach, right? There's approaches of people that just wanted to see if the grass is really greener, you know, and uh, they just order a board, but they're not willing to really change anything. If if they are lucky and find a, a good board, they most likely going to take back to their sponsors and show the board, hey, this is what I want. This this has worked good for me. You know what I mean? So in the past, I, I wasn't really 
you know, sensitive to that. I, 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 whoever approached me, yeah, sure, I'll make you a board. Nowadays, I'm, I'm a little bit more, um, you know, hesitant to, to do it, you know, because if, if he's not going to, if we're not looking for another rider and if he's not going to be another competitor, uh, I don't want to create, make a design in, that it's going to make him surf better and eventually win one of my guys mm. that's riding my equipment. You know what I mean? So uh, that's something that I need to take in consideration. But yeah, there's a lot of guys that wanted to just test the boards and others really have a hard time. They're, they're just they're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not being able to, to really figure it out with my shaper, which like I said in the beginning, it's tough. You have to have a dial because it's one week between events. Everything is running too fast. If you're not dial, you're traveling with boards that you're not confident with. And then the chances are you, you're not going to get results, you know. The point you made about not wanting to build boards for someone who may end up beating, you know, your, your team rider eventually is an interesting one in the context of how big your own team is, right? So, for example, at the finals, you had Joanne, lone sharp eye team rider on the women's side, but you had Kanoa, Jack Robinson, and Felipe, um, you know, which is 60% of the, of the men's side. <laughs> all vying for one world title. Do you spend any time, maybe there isn't any to manage, but I'm wondering, is there any tension between those elite level team riders in terms of how much attention they get from you, how quickly they get boards from you? And do you have to spend any time kind of managing, um, in a lot of cases, you know, justified egos in the sense of like, yep, you know, we're getting yours done on time, et cetera, et cetera. No. So for the most part, we've been able to do a really good job on that, you know, uh, it's funny because uh, Kanoa, when when he switched to us, when we sitting down before he signs the contract, one of the first questions he asked was, yeah, I wanted to tell you straight out, are you going to give more priority to Philippe than me? Because Philippe's from Brazil and you're a shaper from Brazil. And I was like, no, no, Sharp Eye is an international company. And I am going to give priority 100% to everyone that's riding my boards. I don't care if you're from Brazil, if you're from Japan, if you're from America, from Australia, from Bali. It doesn't matter. You're, you're, you're riding my boards. You're number one. So we give uh, the same attention to every single one of them. They have their boards on time, whatever they need. And uh, we help them uh, to achieve what they need. And, and so far, it's been working. I, I haven't get you know many complaints you know but yeah so that's that's the approach you know makes sense you mentioned right when we started that you're enjoying a well-earned break you know after such a successful couple of years culminating with with the first world title at lowers a couple of weeks ago for you looking at the next few months when when do you start moving back into a regular work pace and and how do you prepare for the start of the championship tour season at, at the end of January in Pipeline? Right now, we're taking this break to launch a few of, of our alternative models. We have a few twin fins and things that are not necessarily going to be written on the tour. So we kind of are launching that and working that way. But I already have a, a phone call, a phone meeting with the Baron. Actually, I suppose you have it today. And already preparing the, the changes that are, we're doing on the quiver for Hawaii. It's great to have a, a rider from Hawaii like him. You know, it really helps me out a great deal because not having a, a Hawaiian a rider 
it really makes things difficult sometimes because, you know, I, I had to wait until the guys go to Hawaii to try. Mm. And sometimes they surf for a few heats and this is the feedback, you know, mm. and, and having a guy that's their pipe, that surfs all the breaks, being a local. Oh, man, it's, 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 a, it's a great information, great feedback that I really, it's priceless, you know. So right now I have some changes on the step ups and, and, and the semi guns that I wanted to start feeding him now. I know it's early. The, the swells are not there yet, but we're going to start working on it so that way I can be prepared. So when the the tour arrives, I have some news. I have some uh, some uh, updates, you know, on the designs. So, And that's how it goes. But I, I have for next year, basically all the models that, that they're being working in, all the stops, everything is already filed and... So, you know, I, I usually talk to them to see if it has been any change, if anybody gained weight or stronger or, or there's been any, mm. any issues, if we should do exactly what we did last year or if we're going to change a little bit. So all these things we, we, we get in touch before and then I'll, I start, you know, the production. I love it. Well, we, we put a feeler out to um, our listeners on uh, Instagram and at the lineup pod uh, for questions. And we, uh, we got a lot back, but, uh, but we've whittled it down to three for you. Um, the first question is from at D Dennis S K Kevin, Dennis Kevin. Um, and the question is, if you had to have one board for California, what model would it be? Uh, my model would be the Inferno 72. That would be a, that's what I ride 80% of the time. If you into high performance surfing, obviously, you know, we're talking about if you like your surfing to be, you know, speed, turning, just like, you know, what you see out there with the pros, then that would be a board that would fit the best, you know, most of the conditions, most of the beach breaks around, some of the point breaks, you know, a lot of the conditions, 80% of the time, that's what I ride. Second question is from at Shane underscore Hunt 793 who asks, what is the biggest tip you can give someone who wants to get into shaping? Well, I would do not, I wouldn't st start shaping. Definitely. I would start learning how to build a proper surfboard. I would go for all the steps, fixing your board first, well done, perfectly. Then eventually going into whatever you like the best, laminating, sanding. I would go all these steps. All, uh, shaping would be my, my last concern. You know, it, it comes out so much easier and so much better. Your understanding of all the lines and everything out, everything falls into place easier than if you're trying to figure things out right now at a design level and, and really skipping all the, the other steps. That's my take. Uh, maybe I'm old fashioned, you know, nowadays everything's computer and bam, you, you're there and raising the trophy, you know. Oh, it worked out for you. I think that's pretty good advice. Um, the last question that we picked is from at McDonald228, who asks, in your opinion, what is the next frontier for high performance surfboard design? It's the, the wave pool. The wave pools, the way they're going fast pace. We're going to be able to really now have a, a proper training ground that we can experiment and have a feedback that's a lot faster. I give you an example of my Hawaiian boards. Not being from Hawaii, not, not staying in Hawaii, I, I, it takes a season for me to upgrade my guns. Mm. 
Now right. imagine you're having a, a break that is man-made that, that reproduces the same wave over and over and over. I can really narrow the best design for that particular wave a lot faster than before, which is going to allow me to really experiment and really be able to go whatever directions the writers wanted to go. Because usually that's how it happens. You know, these guys, they're always, you know, pushing the envelope to go faster, higher. And we as shapers need to allow that to happen. So we need to figure out what we need to change in order to let them do what they want to do. You know, very cool. Well, thanks to everyone that wrote in at, at the lineup pod. We're now down to our final segment. So it's time for the lightning round presented by BF Goodrich. These are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, bronzer, quad, or finless, which would you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? None. Burrito or pizza? Pizza. Good pizza. Last book you read? <sighs> oh, man. <laughs> the last one was Golda Meyer, her biography. Hmm. Best surf film ever? Surf film? Mm -hmm. Or video, whatever. Um, man, Storm Riders. I love Storm Riders. Uh, what is one wave you never have to go back to? I don't want to go back to? Yeah. Well, Chopu. No, I love Chopu. I love Tahiti. Don't get me wrong, Tahitian. I love Tahiti. It's just that that wave in particular is not my turf anymore. That's fair enough. If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life? For the rest of my life, uh, I guess a wave like trestles or abs, what I surf a lot, Sunset Cliffs, love abs. Mm -hmm. Best person to share a lineup with? Lined up with? My friends. Worst person to share a lineup with? The people that don't respect the ones that came before. Last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by? By doing the right thing. Great. Marcio Zovi, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. Congratulations on all your success. It's, it's well-earned. Um, man, it was so nice talking to you and hearing your story and hearing your thoughts on where surfboards are at in 2022. And um, yeah, enjoy your, uh, your well-earned break. And um, I look forward to seeing you very soon. Great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for everybody. Talk soon. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Sharp Eyes Marcio Zuvi. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer and Miguel Clemente with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Tongva, and the Kumeye native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 